Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible weekly leader training podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Bob Bunn. Bob is the editor of the Explore the Bible adult commentary. He also was one of the writers for the material that we're looking at. So, uh, Bob, thank you for being with us. I look forward to our conversation as we look through Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon's this quarter. Thanks, Dwayne. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Today, we're looking at session one. Uh, We'll be looking at Philippians 1, 1 through 11. It's an introduction to the book uh, that we'll be looking at. Uh, We'll look at Philippians the first six weeks of this quarter. The main point in verses 1 through 11 is that believers find joy in praying for the spiritual growth of others. That's going to be an issue that we're going to see in a a topic, not really an issue, a topic that Paul's going to continue to surface as we're looking at the book of Philippians, this issue of prayer, the opportunity to pray, the value of praying, and he sets the tone right at the beginning. Uh, These verses we've outlined in these three points, sharing faith, thankful faith, and growing faith. Verses 1 through 2 deal with that title, Sharing Faith. In these verses, Paul and Timothy expressed greetings to the believers and the church leaders at Philippi. Paul and Timothy identify themselves as servants of Christ and the believers as saints of Christ, highlighting the common bond they shared in Christ. For us, we should understand that believers share a common bond with other believers through our faith in Christ. Verses 3 through 8 deal with the second point, thankful faith. In those verses, Paul thanked God for the faith exhibited by the Philippian believers. He was confident that God would continue to work in and through them. He affirmed them for the assistance they provided while he was imprisoned for the gospel. For us, we can understand that we as believers can thank God for others who partner with us in kingdom work. The last point, verses 9 through 11, is growing faith. In these verses, Paul explained that he prayed for the continued spiritual growth of the Philippian believers. This spiritual growth would be seen in their love, spiritual maturity, and righteous actions. For us, we can understand that our prayers for other believers should include praying for their spiritual growth. So that's a quick look at verses 1 through 11. A quick walk through it. One thing I would bring out uh, as we're thinking about this is an introduction for the whole quarter for our study of Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon uh, is the the Pack Adam, uh, Pack Adam 13, which is a poster that just lists keywords from each one of these three books. Uh, you're going to find for Philippians the words joy, rejoice, prayer, love, trust, Christ, faith, and concern. For Colossians, all, love, Christ, faith, and forgiven. And for Philemon, prisoner, Christ, brother, fellow, love, and useful. You can display that poster. I know we usually have a map, and we do have a map included in this pack as well. We can display that map, which helps some. You have the outline, which you can also display. The outline's also printed in the front of the personal study guide and the daily discipleship guide. But when I'm thinking about what I'm going to be displaying, these keywords, this keyword poster, 
may be more important for me for this quarter than those other two items because it's it gives a way for me to kind of mark where we are in the, the, the themes that we're looking at through these books as we walk through this quarter. Uh, so I just want to bring that up to you. It's a good way to introduce the study as well, saying here's the things we're going to be looking at this quarter. Be looking for these as we walk through these three books. So that's just a little tip, little thing I would I would encourage you to think about. Now, I know some of you say, well, I don't get the pack. Well, in the back of the leader guide, in the back of the daily discipleship guide, in the leader help section, there is a, a, a an article, two or three pages, that's just entitled No Pack. And it describes on those pages the different uh, pack items. So if you don't have the pack, you can still create your own. Now, it saves a lot of work by having the pack items because then you just pull it out of that bag and put it up there. Or if it comes to you digitally, you just print it, display it, or put it on computer screen. Uh, that's other ways of doing it. So just know that's there. So Bob, let's think about the introduction here that we have of, of Paul. Uh, pack item four and 13 gives us names of people that are mentioned in Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Uh, I believe there's 19 names listed on that those two pack items. They work together. But Paul introduces himself and his co-workers here. What's the significance of how Paul introduces himself here? Well, it's really interesting, Dwayne. If you look at all three of the books that we're going to be studying this quarter, Paul uses a different word each time to introduce himself. Uh, in, in Philippians in chapter uh, 2, or excuse me, verse 1, excuse me, uh, he was a servant along with Timothy. In Colossians, you're going to see that he's an apostle. And in Philemon, he's going to be a prisoner. Now, Paul was a master when it came to writing and literature and things like that. So these weren't accidents. He was thinking and very thoughtful about what he was trying to convey. For instance, with Colossians, it made sense for him to emphasize his, apost his apostleship. He'd never been in, he'd never been in no, Colossians. He'd never been there. They really didn't know him. A few people knew him, but not many. So he had to, he had to establish his authority. Also, they were dealing with a pretty serious heresy. And so he needed to exert his authority there to show them that he was God's spokesman in this situation. So it made perfect sense. Again, Philemon, he is a prisoner, literally under house arrest in Rome at the time, but it's a very personal letter. It's a very heartfelt letter. Um, the tone of it is much different than Philippians or Colossians. And so the idea of being God's prisoner, Christ's prisoner makes sense in that setting too. Now in Philippians, he's a servant along with Timothy. Now, if you, if you kind of read through some of the themes of Philippians, you're going to see how these things work together because Philippians is really big on partnership. We're going to deal with that in this lesson. Uh, later in the lessons, we're going to look at things like humility, especially in chapter two. Uh, we're going to look at things like unity in chapter three. We're going to look at contentment in chapter four. All these themes kind of work together. And so it makes sense that in, in context of those focus things, then Paul's going to say, hey, I'm your servant. And, and of course, he had a really close relationship with the Philippian church as well. And so uh, for him to say, hey, I've been your servant for so long. I served you well. I continue to serve you. And you have served me through your gifts and things like that. It just makes perfect sense for him. Now, it's kind of interesting that he brings Timothy along too and says, hey, Timothy's your servant as well. Um, I think that says two things. One, obviously, Timothy is getting ready to go to Philippi. And so he wants to, in a sense, put Timothy on that same footing give him that same authority, that moral authority. But also, it just shows how much he cares about Timothy, what he really but, thinks of Timothy and the esteem that he has for him. 
Timothy was with him on the second missionary trip too when they was. established yes. his church, even though he wasn't imprisoned. That's right. Folks can remember that that Philippi was basically the first place Paul came in Acts chapter 16. That you know the the Macedonian call and not being able to go into the place that he was originally wanting to go to in the first few verses of chapter 16 of Acts. And then the Macedonian call gave him the freedom to bring the gospel into what we now know as Europe. It was Greece, but what we now know as Europe for the very first time. And so Philippi was essentially the first place that they arrived after getting that, uh, that open door. And Timothy and Silas uh, were both with him on that trip. Now, you mentioned the word partnership. Verse 5, he he brings that word up, uses that phrase, your partners with me. What role does a shared faith play in relationships and partnerships? Well, you and I are both sports guys. Uh, we both enjoy, you know, watching sports and, and seeing sports. And we, if, you, if you think about that analogy, uh, Christianity, faith, is not a spectator sport. You don't sit on the sidelines, you don't watch it. It's also not an individual sport like golf or tennis. It's a, it's a team sport. And so um, this partnership and this, this shared faith is really important. Now, as you think about shared faith, I think there's, there's probably about at least four things that you can say. First of all, shared faith promotes love. Um, the church runs on love. We can't be the church without love. And so uh, we need that shared faith to build relationships with one another and to be able to show love toward one another. Kind of keeps us on the same page, keeps us pulling in the same direction. You can, you can kind of think of it as a, a, as a tug of war. If everybody's pulling in the same direction, you're not going to end up in the mud, hopefully. But if everybody runs off in a hundred different directions, your team's not going to last very long. So shared faith promotes love. Shared faith also builds trust. You really can't be the church if you don't trust the person sitting in the pew next to you. Um, it's important that they, you can't be a partner if you don't trust the person next to you. You have to work together. You have to stand beside each other. Um, if you don't trust one another, that creates weak links in the chain. And, you know, weak links are where the devil likes to, to put the most stress. And so you've really got to build into the shared faith, lean into the shared faith, because that's where trust comes from. Shared faith also nurtures humility. Um, the things that wreck the church, whether it be in the first century or whether it be in the 21st century, one of the things that, that really does a lot of damage are, are self-driven agendas, where people just... They have their idea and they want to go their way and they think everything needs to go that way. And so um, they, that, that basically puts the, puts the a roadblock in front of ministry. It hinders it. It, it, it makes it so that it's not effective anymore. And so um, if, if on the other hand, humility, as we're going to find out in chapter two, reflects the character of Christ. And it, it, instead of holding back the work of the church, it, it, fuels the work of the church. It gives it more power uh, as, as the church moves forward. Um, really, it's the only way. Humility is one of the things that really attracts the world to the church. And when they, when they don't see it, they don't see, they don't see any relevance in the church. They don't see the purpose of it. But if they see humility and how we treat one another well, as Jesus treats us, then they're much more attracted to it, and they're much more interested in what's going to come. And then the fourth one is shared faith also gives you a shared purpose. Um, I, this kind of ties back into the trust issue, but, you know, we have a purpose. The, share, the Great Commission is our purpose, and one person cannot do that. One church cannot do that. The entire body of Christ has to work together in order to do that. This idea of shared purpose and partnership, you know, 
Paul, again, we mentioned has had a really strong, long-lasting relationship with these folks in Philippians or in Philippi, the Philippian church. And they had they had ministered to him, he had ministered to them, and he really felt that bond and he wanted to continue to nurture that bond with them, even though he was under house arrest and they were hundreds of miles away. Um, and that's one of the reasons we'll see, I think, in chapter three and some of the other verses, um, some of the other lessons that uh, he really emphasizes, emphasizes unity and he's very adamant about building that unity. And it's all because shared purpose is the key. Without it, the church goes nowhere. It, it collapses under its own weight. And he's going to mention later on in this his letter to the Philippians that they'd come to his aid prior. Mm -hmm. He was in Thessalonica, for example. Mm -hmm. They had sent him a financial support there. You've got yes. financial support being sent to him here. So they have a unique relationship with each other. Um, that, yeah, it's it's uh, probably much different than any any church that he, the other church that he had or any other letter that he had. Yeah, and he and he wasn't there near as long as he was in Ephesus, for example. Or Corinth, yeah. Well, yeah, Corinth, and yet they seem to be the ones that come to his aid and assistance at that point. But those yeah, they four, latched on to something. <laughs> oh yeah, those four things you mentioned were love, trust, humility, and purpose. Did I get those right? That's correct. Yeah. Good. Now, Paul prays in verse 9, Paul prays for knowledge and discernment. How are those things different and similar? And how do those things produce the results that are identified in verses 10 and 11? Uh, so that you may be approved, uh, excellence in all, sincere, blameless till the day of Christ, having been fitted or filled with the fruit of righteousness. How do those two things, knowledge and discernment, produce those things that I just noted in verse 10 and 11? One of the, there's a great uh, part of the, the personal study guide on uh, for this lesson brings out the fact that they they're not it's not an either or situation and these two things actually work together to accomplish so many great things but we have to kind of understand what Paul was talking about when he used each of the terms uh, the Greeks had two words for knowledge two basic words that they used one uh, dealt with intellectual knowledge book learning if we, if we want to call it that and the other which is probably the one we're more familiar with, gnosis, starts with a G, but it's pronounced gnosis. Um, that, um, that was more experiential learning, learning on the fly, learning through doing. And that's the word that Paul used here. So Paul was emphasizing not just head knowledge, but really heart and hand knowledge, where, where the, the knowledge that he wants them to nurture is, is, comes from doing and learning to do and learning to be with each other. Very personal. It Very is. Personal. It is. It is. It's if you want to think of it this way, uh, gnosis kind of thing. It, it focuses on the journey, getting there, whereas the other word oida, oido, is is more the destination. It, it takes joy in reaching whatever the goal was, but but Paul was talking about the journey. What's it going to take to get there? And that's where he wanted the folks to focus. So that's knowledge. Now discernment is more. Uh, it's more of an ethical term. Uh, I like to think of it as putting ethical skin on the basis of knowledge. So what we know and what we learn, either through books or through experience, discernment comes along and puts skin on that and teaches us how to use that in a practical way. If you want to think of it in terms of the Old Testament concept of wisdom, practical application of knowledge, godly knowledge, um, those th that's a pretty fair comparison for those two. So you have knowledge on one side that's learned from experience, learned from doing, and then you have discernment, which allows you to have the wisdom to, to live it out each day. And that's what he's talking about. And so 
without those two things, this abounding love that he's really trying to nurture, that he's really trying to encourage them to be a part of, that's not going to happen. It's going to go off the rails. It's going to crash. But with those two things, they're going to be more likely to be able to nurture that love. And by nurturing that love, they're going to be able to put the practical steps that he brings in the later verses into being. So, so they're evidence. They serve, right. those, exactly. they serve as evidence that you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So when he talks about knowing about what's superior and what really matters in life, when he talks about avoiding hypocrisy and living with a clean conscience, when he talks about being blameless, when he talks about treating, uh, treating people basically the way God treats them, uh, and when he talks about bearing fruit, um, all those things are the, the evidence of love, the evidence of that relationship, which happens because we have a good grasp on what knowledge and discernment can do in our lives. Uh, it's really interesting. I don't, I don't know how many of our listeners would look at the New American Commentary, but uh, uh, on page 62 of the New American Commentary, there's actually a side-by-side -side comparison of verses 9 through 11 in Philippians and verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 in Colossians. And those two, it's amazing how similar the wording is. They're not exact wording uh, yeah. similarities, but uh, they're not word for word, but there's very, very similar, which kind of tells you that, that this was a big deal for Paul. He not only wanted to share with the Philippians, he wanted to make sure that the Colossians had a handle on it as well. It, it helps us understand, too, that these were written pretty close to each other mm -hmm. while Paul was there in Rome in house yes. arrest. It's true. Um, most folks think uh, Philippians was written first out of the four books he wrote um, uh, while in house arrest, but uh, still you can see the influence of all of all of all of them on each other. Right. Yeah, in two completely different settings, what the oh, Philippians yeah. were dealing with and what the Colossians were dealing with, apples and oranges, but that principle, that concept remains the same throughout every church context. Yep. Big idea, big thing here throughout Philippians is this role of prayer. What role should prayer play in our relationships? I'm struck when I read this that Paul's not praying for them to have a good day or not have any pain or whatever, but he's praying for their spiritual growth. And it's convicting to me that, that, mm -hmm. that that's his prayer. And that's not always the prayer that I follow when I'm praying for somebody. And we're lucky if we pray for our own spiritual growth, oh, yeah. spiritual growth to somebody else. Yeah, prayer, prayer really benefits, it benefits the one that's praying, it benefits obviously the one who's being prayed for, but it also benefits the entire church because prayer creates stronger individuals and stronger individuals create stronger churches. And so prayer has this, um, this umbrella effect, or and maybe it's a domino effect more than an umbrella effect, where it just touches, 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 and, and keeps the church moving forward. But yeah, I, I think um, there's three things about prayer that we see here. One is uh, Paul kind of focuses on three different kinds of things. One is a prayer of gratitude, which he just expresses thanksgiving for the Philippians and all the th th things that they've done and their, their partnership with him. The other is intercession. That's the praying for them that we mentioned. But then a specific kind of intercessory prayer is what you were mentioning, Dwayne, is, is this, this what I call discipleship prayer, where you're really praying for the spiritual life not just of yourself, but of the people you care about, the people that that need that kind of prayer, the people who are going through uh, the struggles and their their boots on the ground in Philippi at that time. So you know, he really puts uh, puts an emphasis on using prayer not only to get your needs met, but also to to kind of reflect on who you are as a believer and to grow stronger as a Christian. And of course, by doing that, 
and the power of the gospel becomes more evident and it becomes more effective and more people are going to be reached for Christ. And that, that was always important for Paul too. The focus um, is more on eternal instead of temporal. Mm-hmm. He's thinking here. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, and again, we see that uh, Paul wasn't, he wasn't picking and choosing. He, he, he believed that this was, that this was true for anyone in any situation. Uh, you know, he was, he was in Rome, he was under house arrest. His, his access to people and to opportunities was somewhat limited, um, but he still believed that prayer changed things. And he, he was talking to a group of people who were hundreds of miles away, who, who maybe had not seen him for a while, but they still had this bond of affection for him. And, and he was praying for them and asking them to pray for him as well. And it's, it's a beautiful picture uh, and reminds us that prayer is, is not something to be taken lightly and not something that uh, just to kind of go through the motions, but it really does make a difference when we do it correctly, when we do it appropriately. Like I said earlier, it strikes me how little we really understand about prayer and the impact it has on other people's lives. Yes. If it was that important, you would be overwhelmed, I think, more so by the need to pray than what we encounter in our lives today. Any other key thoughts or ideas that you would share from this passage, Bob? Now, I just think this is an incredible uh, kickoff to the entire book and, and our entire study of Philippians and even Colossians and Philemon as well. Uh, because if we can get this idea right, this idea of partnerships and prayer and shared faith and all that stuff, if we can get that foundation right, it's really going to help us uh, be stronger as churches, help our classes be stronger for our leaders, help our churches to be stronger, and uh, help us to be better as individuals. Bob, I want to thank you for being with us today. I want to thank you out there for listening to us today. If you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send me an email at dwayne.mccrary at lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at Lifeway.com. I'll do my best to answer your question, or if I don't know the answer to your question, I'll find the right person who can help you get the answer and put you in contact with them. Hope you join us next week. We'll be looking at session two. We'll be looking at the second half of Philippians chapter one. Mike Livingston will be joining me, and we'll be looking at the idea of that believers can face adversity in the joy of knowing that the gospel is being spread.